Good morning. I'm Jillian Watson, and I'll be reading our passage from Mark today. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word, the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thanks, Jillian. You know, when I asked Jillian to do our reading this morning, she replied, she said, as long as it's not half the book is what she said. And I was like, you know, I was like, Jillian, you know, why don't you just come up here and like, maybe I'll read it. Like, will that, will that work out for you if we do it like that? Um, needless to say, I was pleasantly surprised that she agreed to come up after our negotiations for the, uh, the reading for the week. And you know, I like being pleasantly surprised like that. I think we all love being pleasantly uh, surprised when something turns out better than we thought or could see. I'm not making a judgment on Jillian's reading right now. I mean, that was the, I, like she killed it right there. It didn't turn out better than I thought. I'm trying to make a larger point right now, man. I'm just going to keep like, just sinking right now. But we like being surprised. We like it when things turn out better than what we could have imagined or what we had really the eyes to see. Um, man, years ago, Melissa and I, we, we built these raised beds in, in our backyard. And, and for anyone who knows me, uh, I'm not really a build raised beds in my backyard kind of guy, uh, which is why some of you think I'm lying right now. And I don't, I don't blame you for that. So uh, what happened was we, we actually did, we built these raised beds and we planted all these different varieties of tomatoes. But I'm going to be honest, man, I, I, just wanted, I just wanted raised beds because I thought they looked real awesome in our backyard. I, I, didn't, I wasn't really considering the fact that something would go in the soil and something would pop up. And one morning we woke up and there, we were literally like overrun with like tomatoes. And um, I was stunned. I mean, I was stunned. I'm not going to lie. I was stunned that something we planted actually grew uh, because I, I, you know, I assumed that I was one of those people who destroyed everything they touched and could never get anything to work right. Um, and, you know, a good example of that, which doesn't really have much to do with this, is, you know, I, I, grew, up, I grew up fishing with my dad for, for a season. And I kid you not that in all the hours of fishing with the old man, I never literally caught one fish. All right? Um, so... 
please don't ask me to go fishing with you to try and redeem that streak of failure because I need this story to tell. Um, So that's not really where I'm going with that. But back to the tomatoes. The point is that our doubts are not always our reality, are they? The things we doubt are not always our reality. It's not whether we can see God working that determines whether he is working, right? And we know that. Um, Last week, we learned in the parable of the sower that God is like a sower. He's like a sower who sows the seed of his word. He tills the hearts of those he chooses into good soil. And then the result is that they accept it and they bear the fruit that comes from it. Now, what this parable was meant to illustrate was that the kingdom of God, which is the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God was not what people thought it was going to be. It was different than they had anticipated. It was about Jesus coming to transform people's hearts through repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, what most of the people thought when Jesus kind of burst onto the scene uh, was that when the Messiah came, uh, it would mean a king on an actual throne. That's what they wanted. That's what they desired. That's what they thought. They thought they were going to get a king on an actual throne. And this was a guy that was going to just go pre-nuclear war on the Roman government. That's really what they wanted. Jesus comes in and he says, I am the Messiah, but no, it's not what you thought. It's different. It's kind of like a seed planted in good soil that slowly produces good fruit. It's God growing what's small and fragile to actually display his glory in full bloom. That's the pattern of how God works typically in the hearts and lives of those he saves. So today what we're going to do is we're going to unpack those three parables that Jillian just read for us and pick up where we left off last week and see how God does that. We're going to see how God grows his kingdom from humble roots And in fact, as we begin in verse 21, we see Jesus right at the top. He compares himself to a small lamp that's meant to be placed on a stand for all to see. When you hit there, verse 21, if you put your eyes back down on verse 21. uh, Now remember, Jesus has been speaking in parables, but he's saying that though his identity and though the purpose of his coming has been veiled, remember we learned this last week, it's been kind of hidden, uh, it's been hidden from those who don't believe, he says really right here that his ultimate purpose is to actually make himself known to all. Jesus is like a lamp that is supposed to be displayed and be exposed to all. And in fact, a better translation in verse 21, where it says a lamp is more actually the lamp. That's a better interpretation of that verse, meaning that Jesus is the lamp. And the purpose of a lamp is not to be hidden, but it's to be displayed. Now, we have absolutely zero overhead lighting uh, in our living room. And I could tell you that it's provoked two or three conversations between my wife and I. Because the only light we have in that room comes from lamps. So, because I like my rooms to be kind of on the bright side... Um, I keep those lamps turned on like all the time, right? I like them on all the time because a lamp not turned on to me might as well be a toaster, right? Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying he is a light that's meant to be turned to the on position because that's how people will see and know the truth. In fact, in John chapter 8, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the light of the world, He calls himself the light of the world. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
he says. So Jesus is saying in verse 22 that he himself, as the lamp, came to expose the darkness of the world. And if you have ears to hear, if you pick up on this, if you have ears to hear, then hear. Hear what he's saying. So what the disciples would have understood from this parable that he was explaining to them was that they were called to display and expose the light of Christ that was now living inside of them. And then he issues a warning in verse 24 by saying, however much one hears or receives or rejects the light of Jesus, that will be the measure of light actually given to them. And what that means is that all those who seek and spread the light of God's truth, they're actually going to receive more of it. They're going to receive more of it. But those who reject it, they're going to lose what little they even had of it. Now, what's interesting for our purposes is that we live in kind of a, a Christian culture that is afraid of shining too brightly. We're a little afraid of that light becoming a little too on display and a little too exposed. We're kind of afraid of becoming, you know, that, that car driving behind us that forgets to turn their brights off. We're kind of afraid of having that presence in our neighborhoods and in our communities and in our culture. But Jesus has a different intention for those of whom his light now shines in and through. He intends his people, the church, to be like a beacon of light. He wants them to be a beacon of light. He wants them to be kind of like a lighthouse, like a tower of light that kind of exists in the fogginess of the world. That's what he's saying right here. And again, what, what's the point of a lighthouse? Well, the point of a lighthouse is to point those in the dark to safe passage. And that's how the light of Christ exists in us. Now, again, I don't know if anybody's ever had the experience of somebody like getting a flashlight and just shining it in your eyes. Like that's light, right? But you know what that does? It just obscures everything else and it means that we can't see. So Christians can just tend to put it on a little thick, can't we? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying be the light of Christ that points people out of the darkness and brings them into my light. Display me, show me. Is Christ in you? Then let it come out of you. That's what he's urging his disciples. In verse 25, it's encouraging. Verse 25 is encouraging in that the more we desire, it says, the more we desire and consume and display this beautiful light of Christ, we will receive an ever-increasing yield of it. Right? So the more we expose the light, the more the light shines in on our own lives. And that's encouraging, right? At the same time, it's also sobering because it also says when we pursue and consume things that enter our ears but don't conform our hearts to holiness, in other words, things that aren't very lighted in our lives, all those acquisitions that we make due to those things will be taken from us in the end. That's what he means when it gets down to verse 25. And what that causes us to do is it causes us to think about the pursuits in our lives, doesn't it? The things that you work so hard to attain and acquire more of. I mean, man, you just have to take a tour through your closet, don't you? Take a tour through your closet or your garage or your bookshelf sometime and look at the content of what exists there, right? Everything that was new and necessary in your life at one time for sure has become old and obsolete. And here's the rub, is that if those are the only valuables in your life, 
they're going to someday vanish. Because Christ is the only valuable in a person's life that doesn't vanish, but actually increases in value, so to speak, over time. And of course, you know, we we do have things that increase in, in monetary or sentimental value, but when we die, man, those values will become non-existence to us because those things will completely vanish. So the question for us right now, even as we get through this first short parable, is, is Jesus the most visible light in your life? Does he get placed on the lampstand of your life for all to see? Because when he does, what he's saying here is that you will receive an increase of his blessing in your life when his life is most on display in it and through it. So Jesus is saying, I am the lamp. I am the light that needs to shine for all to see. But understand that the light of my truth will grow and expand in ways that you can't always see. See, we assume if we can't see something grow, that it must not be growing. That's just kind of our default. If we can't see it, it must not be true. But Jesus says that God's kingdom is not grown like that. So when we get into verse 26 through 27, to illustrate this point, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a man, he says, who scatters seed on the ground. It's kind of like the earlier parable, but a little bit different. But he scatters seed on the ground. He goes home, goes to bed, wakes up, and when he gets up, the seed has sprouted and grown despite him having no clue how it happened. That's what he says. It's kind of like the way your kid grows up. You, you don't see it happen at all. I mean, I remember, I don't know if it was like this for you guys, but you know how you had like the wall where the, where the parent would like, you know, shove your head against the wall, give you a slight concussion and, uh, you know, put the measuring stick above it and then like mark and you could go back and look and mark. So here's what was weird. Every, and I'm not a tall guy, right? So at some point it stopped real early for me. But at some point, man, I, I'm telling you, like once a year, mom would stick that ruler on top of my head, mess up my hair, and then mark the new mark. And I was like, you know, an inch taller that year. And she would just be like, act like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? You know, how, did, how on earth did you just grow? How is it possible that a 12-year-old boy just grew as if like that was the weirdest thing in the world? That's a whole other story. But she was shocked, Right. But that's what happens. Our kids grow and we're not even, we don't see it, right? One day they're big and they're, they're awkward and they're eating all of your food and they're trying to take all of your money. By the way, those last two things, I don't think they ever end. Because I'm telling you right now, if I go visit my mom, I'm going to eat everything in her pantry and see if she has a couple bucks to loan me. All right? But what Jesus is doing here is he is pointing to a pattern of growth a pattern of his growth inside of us. So the man who scatters the seed, what's interesting is he has no responsibility over its growth. He just plants the seed. That's all he's required to do. It's the earth that produces the blade, then the ear, and then the grain. And when the grain is ripe, he goes out to the field, he lays out his sickle and brings in the harvest. This is a picture of how God accomplishes his work, we don't want to miss that. And then in verse 29, we see that God will come to reap his harvest by delivering the righteous and judging the wicked. So we don't have to despair. What this shows us is we don't have to despair during the night times of our lives when we cannot see what God is doing. We can sleep 
We can sleep. We can rest while God grows the seed that was faithfully planted. Then we get to verse 30, and Jesus also compares God's kingdom with a mustard seed. Now, what we know about a mustard seed is that it's one of uh, the smallest seeds on earth. It's just like a tiny, tiny little seed. And then it says here, after it's planted, it actually grows much bigger than you would ever expect it to grow, given how small the seed is. So it grows large, and it provides shade. So it not only just grows into a plant, but it grows into something that creates space and shade and comfort for whoever comes into it and utilizes the growth that it's been given. And very simply, it's just another picture of the way God grows his kingdom with his people. He does it from taking the unseen and making it seen. He does it from taking the miniature and making it massive. Amen. this kind of brings up questions in our life, doesn't it? It brings up questions of how many times we wonder if God is really working. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever had a day when you haven't wondered that? Right? Like sometimes you think, well, God, I, I know you're here, but have you actually unfolded your hands and put them to work in my world? I mean, that's kind of an audacious thing for us to ask the Lord, but that's kind of what we do. That's kind of what we do. And what these parables show us is that we need to question what we question. We need to question what we question. We need to doubt our doubts. We need to realize that we cannot realize everything that God is doing. God works in ways that are unseen by human beings. And of course, that is where our faith begins, begins to mature and begins to grow and begins to become something that God makes it because our faith doesn't grow when we have a visible picture of everything that's being done at every single point and minute and second of our life. Our faith grows in those unseen moments. So how is this significant for us? And more importantly, what does this call us to, to recall? That's the question I want to answer at the end here, is what does this call us to constantly recall? When we see God, we see that he's there. We sometimes wonder if he's there, but we wonder if he's working. So he might be there, but is he just up there and not really down here? What do these parables call us to remember and recall? Well, number one, they call us to Trust God who sees everything. Trust God who sees everything. One of the most frustrating things can be when you hire a handyman to do some home repairs and I'm going to get in trouble because one of you guys is a handyman and I'm not, this is not on you. Um, but a frustrating thing can be when you hire a handyman. Sometimes it feels like they just won't finish the work, man, right? Like some of you guys should be smiling right now or angry. Um, like, I just need this leaky faucet in my bathroom fixed, and three weeks later, I'm $3,000 in the hole with a new bathroom, right? And a handyman who's still not done. And you're like, just finish, dude. Just finish what you started. And what happens is, that's kind of our attitude in life with most things. 
We transfer this attitude to how we think God should be working in our lives. The attitude we have towards God is the attitude that I have towards every handyman that's ever existed. And it's simply this, just finish. Like, just finish, God. Just do it. Let me see you do it. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. We think now is always better than later. Now, I'm in a vocation where that comes up kind of a lot. So one of the things that I have to pray through is trusting that God is working in the life, in the lives of these congregations. Like something, because I can't see it sometimes. I'm not asking you to apologize for that, I just, but, I, but I'm just a dude, and I can't see all the work that God is doing in your hearts. But I get glimpses sometimes. And when I get those glimpses, it's so encouraging. But we think we need Jesus to be something other than who he is, rather than trusting who he actually is. So even when we look at passages like this, Jesus is a lamp? Well, I need Jesus to be more than that. Jesus is a tiny seed that grows when I'm not looking? I need Jesus to be more than that. I just need to see him at work. And you know what happens in those moments? What Jesus does is confront our expectations of how we think he's supposed to be working. He confronts our foolishness. He confronts our pride. We say, do something now, God. And yet, God makes us wait. He makes us wait. And then we forget that when God makes us wait, it doesn't mean that he's just kicking off his boots and catching up on Netflix. That's not what he's doing. When we wait, God is working in our waiting. He's deconstructing and reconstructing us in the process. When the man scatters his seed and goes to bed, the earth is not resting. The earth is not resting. It's doing the work. God doesn't rest either, but he wants us to rest in his work. He's working. He's working in those we love. He's working in us because he loves us. You know, we think back to the story of Joseph going all of these years unjustly uh, framed for crimes that he didn't commit. Spent all the formative years from 17 to 40 approximately in jail. Spends all of these years for doing something he didn't do. Can you imagine you know, back then, it was still 24-hour, you know, days, right? So it was all the days, it was all that time, it was all of those hours, the passages of time that go so slowly. Imagine Joseph sitting there going, what's going on, God? I don't see what you're even doing here. I didn't do this. I'm innocent. Where are you? And yet we see that not long after, God brings him into a position that he had to make him wait to get into. And through it all, Joseph finally acknowledges that, man, what people meant for evil, God meant for good. But God still made him wait. And God still made him wait to endure through some of the evil things that were done to him so that he could work through him. Because you know, when Joseph started his life, he was an arrogant little punk. And by the time he became VP of the entire nation of Egypt, he was a humbled man. And he wasn't out for vindication. But he was about doing the will of God and accepting the call of what God had called him to be. So we need to trust 
We need to trust what we can't see. You know what this also calls us to is to not despair. To not despair because we can't see everything. Our tendency is to think this. If he's God, why doesn't he just explode onto the scene and make everything right immediately? Why does he seem so slow? But God's slowness is never a sign that he's slacking. Like our slowness can be a sign that we're slacking, but he can't slack. We're not dealing with somebody who has the ability to slack. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. This is somebody who has an entirely different concept of time than we do. And a thousand years, he says, is as one day. And then he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Those some are us, as we count slowness. But he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We are eager to see, listen, we are eager to see people grow, but our eagerness never rises above God's graciousness, ever. 1 Corinthians 3 reminds us that, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It's a conversation between Paul, about Paul and Apollos, but only God who gives the growth. So what happens is we get all antsy and we get all despairy because we don't see growth as if we have something to contribute to somebody's growth, our own or somebody else's. And what Paul is telling us here is that only God gives the growth and his concept of time is much different than our concept of time. And because it's different, it means better. Because our concept of time is going to be faulty. Because anything that we imagine and come up with is going to be faulty. So what that means is that God is growing you. It means that God is growing you by growing that person in your life that just said another idiotic thing. He's growing that person in your life that just made another damaging life choice. He's growing that person in your life that just ignored the last 20 things you said to encourage and help them. And remember what we talked about last week, about being discerning about someone's fruit? Sometimes we can't see it. We can't see it. And then there's been many times, if we will humble ourselves, there's been many times people have not seen it in you, in me, in us. Probably this week. Probably 10 minutes ago. Be encouraged when your comprehension level hits a wall at the mind of God. Because that's where deeper faith begins. That's where greater trust finds its origins. That's where your growth begins. Man, I think back to this brother of mine. His name was Kimani. He was a guy from Kenya. And uh, this was a long time ago. This was before I had any, I felt any sort of calling into ministry. And I was in a community group with this brother. And I remember there was one night where I was kind of ranting and raving, kind of like I'm doing now, but far more ignorantly, if you can believe that. And uh, this guy looks at me and says, dude, you're going to preach someday. You're going to be a preacher someday. You're going to go into ministry, and you're going to preach. And I looked at him, and I said, you have lost your Kenyan mind, Kimani, just like that, right? And yet, he never stopped pursuing me. And man, I pushed back against this guy so, so hard. 
He was always calling me, trying to get together, and I'm like, yeah, it's not going to work out today. I got to look at my calendar. Yeah, I'm booked up. There was nothing, you know. It's like I just, I, I didn't, I didn't want to receive what he had for me. He never gave up. He never gave up. He was gracious. He saw something in me that I couldn't see, and he ended up being right about a lot of it because he was patient, because he understood that he wasn't responsible for the growth. He was just trying to plant seeds and see what God would do as those seeds were being planted. And he never gave up. He never despaired. And uh, years later, we still have a relationship, and we, uh, we still talk about what God did in those days and, and, and how it all turned out. And it's pretty amazing to, to see that. So God, he calls us not to despair just because we can't see everything. And then finally, This calls us to remember the unforeseen victory of the cross. Let me say that again. The unforeseen. Just pause on that word. The unforeseen victory of the cross. None of them saw the cross, the disciples right here. None of them knew about the cross. There was no cross in their future. After all the teachings, after all the healings, After all, the casting out of demons, you know what happens? Jesus dies a weak, as a weak, undignified, powerless man with no friends on a Roman cross. None of his disciples saw it coming. Because again, that's not the way of a king. A king conquers. And right up until the very end, they still thought that that is how Jesus was going to deliver the people But God did something different. He took the most brutal act in human history and quietly raised Jesus three days later. You ever read the account of when Jesus rose from the dead? There were no fireworks. There was no announcement on Facebook. There was no Evite. It just happened quietly. God raised Jesus, and it was unforeseen by everybody. Nobody knew but God. And afterwards, 12 men who didn't see it coming would go on to change the world because Jesus appeared to them in glory and sent them on mission. And there was no big meetings with the boys, right, laying out a comprehensive vision strategy. He just goes, he goes, Matthew 28, and it says this. It says, now the 11 disciples, because remember, Judas was out of the game by then. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This was after Jesus rose from the grave. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But it says, some doubted. Some still didn't see that God was working slowly with his king son. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. This was the charge. He said, just go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That was it. That was Jesus saying, go on, boys. Make disciples. Baptize. Teach people everything I told you. Make me known. Put my light on that lampstand. He's saying to them, you couldn't see it, but God was working the whole time. He was working the whole time to make all things new. 
And you know what? You're part of that renewal now. You're part of that restoration. Now go, go and shine the light that I became to you. I know you all abandoned me. Peter, I know you denied me. But I knew all that would happen too. All that was included in my slow growth plan for you. God is saying, don't forget when everything gets hard that all is not what it seems. Doubt your doubts when they come. Remember my words, he says, and plant them like seeds in the lives of all who cross your path. Sometimes it will seem like I'm not there, but I will never leave or forsake you. And then in verse 20, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's truth with claws in it for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can't see everything that you're doing. There's a reason why you do that. There's a reason why in your providence and to the greatness and goodness of your name, character, and glory, you have a slow growth process that many times you allow us to go through. And in that, you build our faith and our affection more deeply to you. So Lord, help us to remember that when we have friends and family members and neighbors who we have shared the gospel with and it seems like it's taken no effect years and years later. Lord, help us to not despair when we find ourselves frustrated at the lack of progress in our own lives. Lord, call us back. Call us back to the light of Christ. Call us back to the hope and encouragement that we have knowing that you're always working and you never fail to do everything that you set out to accomplish in our hearts and in our lives and in the lives of the people that you put us in contact with. Lord, let us be faithful. You have called us to faithfulness. Let us be faithful as we ever trust more deeply in your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. We all said together, Amen.